Hello, I'm Manila Chan. You are tuned into Modus Operandi. They are wanted by foreign governments for alleged crimes that occurred away from the shores in which they are found. In some 50% of countries around the world, if the United States demands you be found and handed over, the likely outcome is that you will be brought stateside to face the American justice system. But is the same true when other countries demand Americans be sent back to face their courts. This week, we'll examine the extradition imbalance faced by countries who sign treaties with the U.S. with Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Chris Hedges. All right, let's get into the M.O. An Australian national has been the center of controversy for years, wanted by the United States over alleged crimes that found him holed up in a third-party country's embassy in London, England. Now locked away at a maximum security prison awaiting extradition to the U.S. The prosecution of Julian Assange by the full weight of the U.S. government has given rise to the discussion of extradition more broadly. Especially since, for decades, the U.K. has had a bilateral extradition treaty with its transatlantic ally. Yet when it comes to the deadly car accident caused by CIA operative Anne Sekoulis near a U.K. airbase, the U.S. rejected the formal request to send an American to London to face the U.K. courts. Now these are just two examples of a laundry list of many who highlight the extradition imbalance between the U.S. and the rest of the world. Joining us to discuss is a man who has covered many of these extradition cases, most recently reporting directly on the Assange extradition trial, is Pulitzer Prize-winning writer, former Mideast bureau chief for The New York Times. His latest book, called The Greatest Evil is War, now host of the Chris Hedges Report on the Real News Network, Mr. Chris Hedges. Chris, thank you so much for being with us. First, Chris, let's start with perhaps the highest profile extradition case in the world right now. That would be of Julian Assange. It would appear that his attorneys in the UK are running out of appeals and he will likely be brought to the US to face espionage charges that would effectively result in a life sentence. Now, data from the DOJ shows that they have an astounding 97% conviction rate of those extradited to the U.S. Does it appear that the U.K. has sort of relinquished its sovereignty of jurisdiction due to decades-old extradition treaties with the U.S., and that Julian is a victim of that, among other things? Well, from the beginning, for those of us who have followed the case closely, this has been a judicial farce. Uh, there are all sorts of legal anomalies that should have invalidated this case a long time ago. We can begin with the fact that Julian has not committed a crime. He didn't do anything different from what the New York Times, The Guardian, uh, Der Spiegel, uh, and El Pais did when they published the Iraq war logs. Remember, that's what he's being charged with under the Espionage Act. Uh, 17 counts, that's 170 years if he's convicted on all counts, and another five years for hacking into a government computer, although he didn't hack into a government computer. Chelsea Manning, who leaked the documents, did not need to hack into a computer. Chelsea Manning 
had uh, all of the passwords, had security clearance to get into the computer to, to pass the documents on to WikiLeaks. Then we have UC Global, the Spanish security firm that uh, set up cameras and recording devices throughout the Ecuadorian embassy in London and turned over all of that tape to the CIA, eviscerating attorney-client privilege. We have the fact that Julian is not a U.S. citizen, so there's that question of how he can even be charged under the Espionage Act. WikiLeaks is not a U.S.-based publication. So I've sat in on the trials and then during COVID was getting up at five in the morning and getting links uh, to follow the trials uh, via video stream. Uh, and when you look at all of the details of the case, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the UK judicial system made it so difficult to cover, uh, it, it's clear that this is not the best of British jurisprudence, but the Lubyanka. Uh, so uh, I think all of us from the beginning have assumed that he would be extradited. Remember, he wasn't extradited uh, under when the ruling, the extradition ruling uh, was made by Baritza. It wasn't uh, because she found any of the charges against Julian uh, invalid. In fact, she endorsed all of the charges against Julian, but it was very clear that he was a suicide risk. Uh, there was just no way, of course, he had attempted suicide, uh, and his psychological, his physical and psychological health is extremely precarious. There's just no way uh, to deny it. Um, and so she blocked the extradition based on the fact that he had a high suicide, uh, there was a high potential for suicide. Uh, that has been uh, appealed, uh, was appealed by the U.S., and now it's back in the lower court. They will challenge Baritza on the substantial issues. But the U.S. gave in a diplomatic note assurances that he would be taken care of and he wouldn't be in uh, Florence, Colorado, the Supermax ADX prison before trial without, of course, saying nobody is held pre-trial in ADX Florence. Um, uh, and so I think for those of us who have followed, it seems pretty clear that he will be extradited probably by the end of this year uh, to the Eastern District Court of New York, uh, which has a track record, as you pointed out, of, uh, of uh, uh, doing the government's dirty work in terms of its quote unquote terrorism laws. So we, we all of us who support Julian and press freedom because the consequences of this for the press are catastrophic. It means that anyone who possesses classified material or publishes them or both can now be charged under the Espionage Act. That's the precedent it would set. I worked for the New York Times for 15 years. I possessed classified material and I published it. Uh, and uh, it'll essentially put an iron wall between us and the inner workings of government. It's extremely dangerous. But uh, yeah, I think those of us who have been following the case closely don't have much doubt that he will be extradited. Yeah, you mentioned how uh, the UK courts made it difficult to cover Julian's case. Does this then allude to the UK effectively acting as a vassal state for the US in the way of arresting people? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there is uh, a provision in UK law that says that people cannot be extradited for political offenses if they're politically persecuted. And of course, they have 
uh, ignored the fact that this is very clear political persecution uh, and uh, and done the bidding of. But you have the the five eyes. The security networks are intertwined. Uh, there were all sorts of uh, leaked documents uh, uh, that were published by WikiLeaks that were not flattering to the UK. Uh, I think that that it all goes back to the 2017 Vault 7 leak. Uh, this was uh, WikiLeaks exposing the ability of the CIA uh, through back channels to hack all of our electronic devices, even our televisions and our cars and phones and everything else. And that uh, that is when you saw the Trump administration uh, demand the extradition prompted by the CIA and the intelligence community demand the extradition of Julian. Remember that up until then, Obama had used the Espionage Act quite vigorously uh, almost a dozen times against whistleblowers, Drake, Kiriakou, Kiriakou and others who had provided information to the press. But Trump ratcheted that up to another level by going after a journalist himself, in this case, Julian. But I think that was driven by uh, the uh, the CIA's embarrassment and anger over uh, these revelations, and that is the driving force now behind the extradition of Julian. An extradition case now going in the other direction. Anne Sekoulas, the alleged U.S. diplomat, we now know she was a U.S. spy for the CIA. Uh, she was a wrong-way driver near the Crowton Air Base in England. She hit and killed a 19-year-old called Harry Dunn who was riding a motorbike in uh, August of 2019. She left him to die along the side of the road and fled back to the U.S., claiming diplomatic immunity at the time. She has since confessed to that tragic accident, but has refused to return to the U.K. to stand trial. Now, back in January of 2020, the U.K. issued an official extradition request for her, which Mike Pompeo, who was Secretary of State at the time, denied that request. Is this a reflection of the extradition imbalance, not only between the U.S. and U.K., but it would appear that when you look at any random country, the U.S. asks for anybody, for any reason, that country almost always acquiesces, but it's not true the other way around. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we should also be clear that in the case of Julian, as I mentioned before, he's not a U.S. citizen and he did not commit a crime. Uh, so. Uh, the, the hypocrisy is not limited to this case. There are numerous cases, including the case of Hassan Mustafa Osama Nasser in uh, Milan, which I can go into if you want, in 2003. Uh, the, the U.S. has one set of rules uh, for others and another set of rules for themselves. All right, more to come with Chris Hedges. Don't go anywhere, Chris. Coming up next, the United States keeps extradition numbers under wraps the mystery around just how many people the U.S. government brings from abroad and forces to stand trial are unknown. We'll discuss it when we return. Sit tight. The M.O. will be right back. Hungary has been a member of the European Union and NATO since 1999, during the first post-Soviet wave of NATO's eastward expansion. 
если мы много санкций сделаем против России, тогда э, война э, закончится, и все мир, мир, все будет хорошо. Запад думает, что вот пришло время, что можно убить Россию. Россия остается большой, могучей страной. In the early 90s, Hungary was a country with the worst view of Russia due to historical disagreements left over from the Soviet Union. Сегодня же Венгрию называют едва ли не самым надежным партнером России в Европе. По всем признакам эту политику можно назвать пророссийской. На деле же это политика здравого смысла. Волынь – это особая территория на Украине. Территория, все время находящаяся так или иначе под контролем противоборствующих сил. К 1939 году поляки составляли примерно 15-20% населения Волыни. Когда был атак на Звездок Советский, в тем же атаку ровнеж брали уж два батальона украинских националистов. Морды массовые, подчас которых нищено целое все Волынские, распочались в лютым 1943 года. Они верили в то, что таким образом они э, движутся к созданию украинского государства э, независимого, э, моноэтничного, такого, какое они хотели видеть. Украинских националистов, то есть вообще Донцов публиковал, там же не завахащий, так он жадный сброд и на своем противнику, если так попытаться на кого-то добро украинить. И чей то есть огромная просьба Welcome back to the MO. I'm Manila Chan. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Chris Hedges, with his new substack of the same name, has kindly agreed to stick around. So, Chris, continuing our conversation here, more broadly, the U.S. has signed over 100 extradition treaties with other countries around the world. Now, that's nearly half of the countries out there. But these aren't necessarily bilateral agreements. What's the trade-off here? Why would these countries agree to unilateral extradition treaties with the U.S.? Well, there are all sorts of inducements, foreign aid, military assistance, intelligence assistance, plus retribution uh, if they fail to follow through in these requests. Uh, and uh, the, the U.S. uses its preponderance of military and economic power to make these countries bend to their will. And you've got some other examples of uh, kind of bizarre extradition cases that you can tell us about. 
Well, I think the most egregious occurred in Milan in uh, 2003. This was an Egyptian national who, I mean, is right out of Pinochet's Chile, was snatched in extraordinary rendition uh, off of the streets of Milan. Uh, and uh, it prompted investigations by in Italy, uh, culminating the convictions in absentia of 22 CIA operatives, uh, uh, U.S. Air Force colonel, and two Italian accomplice, accomplices. Uh, and uh, we actually know because of WikiLeaks uh, that there was tremendous pressure put on the Bellasconi government not to uh, 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 request or demand the extradition of these people who had already been found uh, guilty of a crime. Uh, he was uh, he was taken to Egypt, uh, uh, put in prison in Egypt, and very badly uh, uh, tortured. Uh, so uh, there's another example of uh, uh, of how the United States commits a crime in another country. The crime is documented. It goes through the judicial system. All of those people are given. Uh, sentences, and um, uh, and none of them face uh, justice or any kind of repercussions. I mean, that is uh, that that's unfortunately how the empire works globally. So true extradition numbers are nearly impossible to track in the U.S. because different agencies have different reporting standards. And on top of that, according to a report uh, by the Council on Foreign Relations, law enforcement or they say political sensitivities preclude many extraditions from being reported officially on the books. So the best they could find was through the U.S. Marshals Service. Uh, they handle the great majority of uh, international extraditions. Their estimates range wildly between 350 and 600 extraditions annually here to the U.S. That's data coming from uh, 2003 to 2016. What sort of political sensitivities might they mean here? And, and why can't the public know these numbers? Well, because a lot of these people are charged under terrorism laws. We saw this after 9-11. Uh, Fahad Hashmi would be a good example. He was a U.S. citizen. He uh, was, a, right after 9-11, there was a lot of uh, 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 efforts on the part of the government, the Bush administration, to shut down all organizations, the Holy Land Foundation, anyone who did any work on behalf of Palestinians or fought for Palestinian rights was obviously pushed by Israel. And 9-11 uh, became the excuse. Uh, Fahad Hashmi was a graduate student in London, I think at the London School of Economics. Uh, his roommate had uh, been on a cell phone uh, uh, wanting to send non-military supplies and waterproof socks or something to help in the fight in Afghanistan against U.S. forces. And um, uh, and uh, I guess at one point, uh, Fahad Hashmi used the phone. They used that as the excuse to extradite him. And then he was brought back and just uh, held in isolation for 23 months under SAMs. These are special administrative measures. I mean, tortured. And let's be clear that this is what's happening to Julian, as Niels Melzer, the special UN special rapporteur on torture, has pointed out. The, the, he's being tortured. It's a slow motion execution. Um, and, uh, and I mentioned before about Julian's uh, psychological state. We know from the court, he's hallucinating, seen banging his head against the wall. They found a razor, which they confiscated in his socks. He's calling the Samaritans with uh, about uh, potential committing suicide, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, he's also lost uh, tremendous amounts of weight. He had a mini stroke, etc. And and by the time Fahad Ashmi got into the court in Manhattan, he was a zombie. I mean, I was there. He he didn't uh, he didn't. Uh, I was outside the court, but he didn't have any. Uh, he hardly knew where he was. So uh, that that is, I think, why they are so quiet. We talked earlier about making it difficult to cover. I I was in the courtroom with Chelsea Manning. Uh, uh, when she was being tried at Fort Meade for leaking the documents, and there were only 27 visitors allowed in the courtroom. The same with Julian. It's so heavily restricted that you have to get up at four or five in the morning and stand in a line and hope that you can get in. And then, although the problems, I will say, cleared up initially when we were following by video link, there was no audio, the pictures went out, people couldn't get on. So uh, on some level, they understand that this is a judicial burlesque, uh, kind of Dickensian farce, something out of Bleak House. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I think that's why they make it, always make it very difficult to cover, uh, including in these extradition cases that you mentioned. And let me guess, in Fahad Hashmi's case, uh, they probably cited socks as material support to terrorists. I think that was it. I mean, you know, and then they sent him to Florence, to ADX. I was just, it was quite a I mean, it was quite a frightening window into what had happened to our own judiciary uh, and how, especially after 9-11, uh, it just became a tool of repression for any dissident. I mean, in the, in the trial, they were playing uh, surreptitious uh, recordings that had been taken uh, of Fahad Hashmi speaking. He was quite eloquent, br very brilliant man, uh, in, at Brooklyn College, where he was a student. Uh, on behalf of Palestinian rights. I mean, they did, they did the same thing to Samuel Arian, the Palestinian professor out of Florida, who was eventually extradited and now lives in Turkey. Um, so uh, the, the whole kind of quote unquote war on terror uh, eviscerated what little legal protections uh, dissidents once, once had. And of course, we are now seeing this very ominous move against the press itself uh, with the uh, extradition request for Julian. Well, a number of so-called Western democracies have outlined their laws and policies around extradition, and they all seem to include barring extraditions that they deem political in nature. This includes the UK and perhaps, not surprisingly, NATO countries. Uh, a newer, uh, very recent case of Daniel Edmund Duggan, a former U.S. Marine Corps pilot accused of illegally training Chinese military pilots. Now, Duggan has been arrested by Australian officials and has been held in jail since October of 2022. His citizenship, his citizenship status currently is not quite clear. Some say he's relinquished his American citizenship. The indictment, though, from a D.C. district court says he did this training without a proper license, and that's why they want him. But Duggan's attorneys say that this is political in nature, given the U.S. tensions with China right now, that all Duggan has done was his job as a flight instructor. Is there any meat on those bones? I mean, the U.S.-China tensions, the new AUKUS pact, is that all part and parcel of this extradition game? Yeah, I think the, the United States, the Biden administration, uh, has uh, the Democratic Party, even more than the Republican Party, has made this kind of bifurcation between us and them, uh, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, these countries have been labeled 
as enemies, potential, uh, you know, aggressors against the United States. This has a lot to do with the uh, substantial sums that are provided to the military, $854 billion, which is more than uh, the military budgets of the next nine countries combined, including China and Russia. So, uh, you know, going to Israel and doing this kind of stuff, uh, uh, all sorts of American citizens who've worked as mercenaries uh, for the IDF, in essence, uh, the same in Ukraine, uh, there's no, uh, there are no repercussions for that. So again, it's the, uh, the, the that kind of double standard and also uh, any kind of collaboration with uh, states or entities that have been demonized uh, will see you whacked by the kinds of uh, grotesque uh, terrorism laws and extradition requests that have been visited upon Julian. Chris Hedges, host of the Chris Hedges Report. See his weekly columns on sheerpost.com. Thank you so much, Chris. I greatly appreciate it. So as you can see, when the U.S. government or the so-called American justice system has its sights set on you, it's nearly inescapable. And with a 97% extradition to conviction rate by the DOJ, it's unlikely you will walk free. But if you're an American who admits to causing death of a civilian overseas, be it in wars as a military contractor or simply as a distracted driver, if you can make it back home, you'll likely not have to face a foreign court for your crimes. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Modus Operandi, the show that digs deep into foreign policy. I'm your host, Manila Chan. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you again next week to figure out the M.O.